Welcome back to the Digital Tourism Show and episode 201. In this video, we will be hearing from David McGinty of design agency Walnut Wasp. And in this video, he will be showing you how you can create a killer brand for your tourism business. I'm sure you will find a lot of great insights and some great advice in this video. Thanks very much, Chris. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks very much, everyone, uh, for coming. As Chris points out, my name is David McGinty. I'm the co-founder of Walnut Wasp. This is my wife, Gail, who's the other co-founder of Walnut Wasp. Sorry. <laughs> You're instantly mortified. Um, so you very much so, yes. Instant perceptive comment there from her, and she's the boss. So, um, I'm here to talk about brand today. Um, I'd like this to be kind of semi-interactive. I want to just briefly figure out where, as a room, we feel... I want to start by defining our term. What do, we, what do you think we mean when we talk about brand? Who's got a good idea to kick off? Everything. Yeah. Everything. Identity. Identity, okay. Values. Values, yep. Um, yes, agreed. How you're seen by How you're seen by others, yes. I agree with all of that. And I Yes, basically, I think um, I think that that's a key point for me, and that, that's probably where I want to start. Is that your brand? I don't really feel you fully own your brand. I think your brand is something that's out there that is belongs to the people that perceive you. And so, what I want to talk about today: you can't truly create a brand. You can only exert as much influence as you can possibly exert on the elements that make up your branding, and on all of the collateral that you put into the world in an attempt to make your brand be how you want it to be. So um, here's how I want to talk about brand today. I think in building your brand, you're going to want to define the story that you wish was out there in the world about your business. I think thinking about your brand in this way is going to help you to make decisions that will help you positively influence people's perceptions of your business. Um, in other words, if you could write your own reviews, obviously if you could write your own reviews generally, they're going to be evangelical. Right, they're going to be awesome. But what specifically would they focus on? What specific aspects of what you do would be contained in those reviews? If you could put words in the mouth of a, an existing customer who's talking to a prospective future customer of yours, what specific ideas would you want them to put forward? That's, in a nutshell, the stuff I want to start to talk about defining today. Um, in the course of this talk, I want to establish three things. One, I think in terms of your brand story, that your market and value lies in where you meaningfully differ from your competition. So what I mean from that um, is that the stuff we want to emphasize within your brand and within the story that you want to put out into the world is the stuff that makes you different from the people that you're up against in the market. Um, the second thing I want to establish today is that you should hopefully be able to take those meaningful differences and convert some of them to emotional propositions for your audience. Um, and lastly, that every creative decision within the brand collateral is an opportunity to, to communicate part of this story. So this is a huge topic and we're racing through it quite quickly tonight because I'm going to be talking for maybe half an hour. Um, that's an awful lot to get through, so we'll just give it a go. Uh, any questions at any point, please feel free to interrupt and we'll do some questions at the end as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, to me, this is what it comes down to. If you're the same as everybody else, then what does the market need you for? 
This is the, dif the difference between setting the agenda, getting to decide exactly what your service offering is and what your price point is, versus being led by the market on your price point and your service offering. So the idea of being able to control what you offer and at what price you offer it, that's something that I think you can only do once you start to set yourself apart from your competitors. Because ultimately, the goal is to have your prospective customers have a reason to fall in love with your business, with your service offering. If you don't give them a reason to fall in love with you, to say it has to be X, so it has to be you that does this thing, then it's very difficult to take back some of the transactional power that exists on their side of the table. So that's basically what we want to do when we work on a brand, is give ourselves the opportunity to take back some of the power that exists within the transaction. Um, it's a really weird example to start with, but I want to talk briefly about a wedding and function band that I play in as a sort of hobby for beer money with Jesse's boy boyfriend. Um, we're called Nick Bruce and his Blinding Lights. We're available for weddings, functions, <laughs> corporate events. Um, <laughs> I'm going to end with a song for sure, but let me get through this one. Um, so I, I think what I want to emphasize about the band is we, all we do is 60s and 70s and 80s, funk and soul, plus we do a little bit of 2000s R&B, and that's it, right? So 90% of the function bands that exist in the market today, what they do is a little bit of everything, including a wee bit of Kaylee. They'll do 60s to 2000s. They'll try and do everything from rock to reggae. Um, and they'll play for a certain number of hours and they'll charge roughly the same amount of money. What we've done is we've shrunk 90% of that market aren't interested in us because we do this niche thing. And because they're not interested in us, we're not going to be bothered by their inquiries which aren't quite right for us and all the rest of it. We're not going to spend a lot of time or resource dealing with people that aren't suited for us. But the people that are suited for us, we've just made ourselves massively more valuable to them because there is not 30 or 40 funk soul and a little bit of 2000s R&B wedding and function bands out there to choose from. There's like us and three or four others. We're really realistically the best ones. So <laughs> by shrinking our market, we've actually taken back a huge amount of that power that exists in the traditional uh, transaction dynamic because we've shrunk their options as well. Either they know they're looking for this thing or probably more likely in the case of something as niche as this, they never really dare dream that they could have something as niche and specific as this for their wedding or function. Um, so the beauty of that to me is that, well, now we can charge more than the market average and we can do just the stuff we were best at doing. And in charging more, we can invest in better musicians and we can invest in rehearsal time to let us get more complex arrangements of stuff. We can therefore provide an even better service, which allows us again to charge even more money. So it sort of rides, the two things ride each other to glory. And we can say no to the weddings that want us to play Oasis and, uh, no offence to Oasis, nothing wrong with Oasis. I don't know how much of the audience are just alienated in one fell swoop there. No Kaylee, that kind of thing, because it's not the stuff we're good at. So, a terribly abstract example to give uh, in this context maybe, but I think it's a useful one because it's a form of differentiation that's just massively shrunk our market, but made us much more valuable to the people that remain in our target audience. So can I ask, was that deliberate or was it accidental? It was completely deliberate. Like, it, it's motivated in part because we all just love that music and that's the stuff we want to do. 
but you, you go into that with your eyes open and you know that that's going to alienate 90% of the market, but you also know that the remaining people are not flush with options and therefore you're going to get to make more of the decisions within the, the transaction, which is no bad thing. Like, we're not... It sounds like the wrong way around, because surely you want to identify the demand first and then decide if you've got the skills to meet that. Sure. I'm good at this, so start a business doing is that, is that the right to, to start a business based on your strengths? Yeah, based on what you're good at, rather than what the customers want. Um, I think there's a perfectly good reason to start a business based on what you're good at. I think that's a pretty good route. Well, to some extent, but if, if, if it's just totally kind of clean lines, yeah, yeah. we only want to do this and this is what we're good at. Absolutely. You're boxing yourself in almost, right? We are boxing ourselves in, which comes with several key advantages. Uh -huh. yeah, um, you're absolutely right to suggest that there's limitations to doing that. Scaling is a big problem for a business like that. However, this, when I talk about differentiation, I'm referring to basically many available opportunities of which specialization is one. Now, specialization, I completely agree with you. No, no, it's, it's totally fine. Specialization is not a strategy that everyone's going to be able to adopt. It's not even a strategy that most people are going to adopt. I completely acknowledge that. What can be useful is soft specialization, which is making a claim about a specialization that you have, which speaks positively to the customers that might respond well to that, but that doesn't alienate the market that isn't necessarily interested in that. Um, benefits of specialization, by the way, so we're here at the Tourism Marketing Agency today. There's a fairly clear specialization. I don't know whether you'd argue it's a specialization or a soft specialization. I, I would have assumed so, I just didn't want to put words in your mouth. But you can see the clear benefit, I mean, you, the resource that you put into marketing, the imagine year on year, the skill set that your staff learn that is dedicated to one sector. You can imagine how you can make strides in that sector versus being all things to all people. It's clear how for certain businesses that's just a beneficial strategy and that allows you to just offer a really good service in that one sector. It's not just about that, it's about how you're perceived as well. We've had a lot of customers or potential customers come our way mm -hmm. purely because they go, I've been looking for an agency who purely focus on tourism, they ask for it. Totally, yeah. Um, totally sympathise though that that's definitely not a solution for everyone. I, I, I completely see that and I just think you can't do it in a vacuum of knowing what customers want. For sure. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, ways to differentiate. So there are, so what I'm sort of, um, I'm going to skip to the bottom here because the important thing is there's a list here of some ways to differentiate and there are many more ways to differentiate. And it's kind of important to rack up points in a few of these key areas so that you give some specificity to your marketing message. That's ultimately the thing I want to aim for is that your branding contains specificity about what you do and about who you are. Um, because again, going back to this idea that you need to give someone the opportunity to fall in love with your service to say it has to be them because that's when someone's going to want to spend more money with you or something like that. Um, that's how you do it, you add specificity. Um, personality, for example. Who likes craft beer in the room? Okay. Right, quite a few people. Okay. I don't really know anything about craft beer, but you can probably guess which craft beer companies I am aware of. That'd be a fair, who, like, name some of the... Brewdog. Brewdog, right, okay. So why do I know of Brewdog even though I care not a jot about craft beer. Marketing, and what is it about Brewdog specifically? I mean, it's not, Brewdog are not out there really marketing primarily about 
the quality of their beer. It certainly touched. Totally. Yes, 100%. I agree. Smashing the Yeah, totally. Right. Um, yeah, I basically think that's it, is their personality. That is legitimately helping them establish brand awareness in a really compelling way where it's clearly affecting their sales. It's the only craft beer, it's the first craft beer manufacturer that I think of, or the first craft beer brand that I think of. You guessed that it would be the one I'd be aware of being a complete layman in the world of craft beer. Um, similarly, Iron Brew. Iron Brew is so ubiquitous here that I think we'd buy it regardless of whether it was the way that it is or not. But if you think of them trying to crack the market elsewhere, so what's the personality of Iron Brew as a brand? Scottish, Glaswegian, yeah. What's the, the temperament of their, their tone? What do they think? Making fun of themselves. Making fun of themselves. Cheeky, yeah. Yeah, all these things. All these things help them sell soft drinks. Um, because there's something there to latch onto. There's something there to like or loathe. Um, Can we get a copy of the slice for the week? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Um, can you see them okay? They're a bit small from the. Not very good for me, but last section not the best. Okay, no worries. Yeah, we'll get them in. Um, Say that again. Yeah, best of two cultures. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And again, like the, just that gives you a reason to be tribal about West <clears throat> beer. That's the thing I really like about the specificity of it allows you to feel passionate about some aspect of it. Um, aesthetic style, um, philosophy, these things, I mean, it kind of speaks itself speaks for itself how your aesthetic style is a clear way in which you can differentiate your business. Um, similarly, philosophy, if you, um, I'm going to use another small personal example. Um, we just launched a candle business this week for Black Friday, which makes uh, wood wick soy wax candles. Me and my sister launched it on a Friday. And the, here's the three things that were sort of that were baked into the brand and all of the brand collateral. Number one is that it's um, a, a highly sustainable product. So the, it's made from soy wax, which is vegan um, and a, an all natural substance. It's, um, the packaging is 100% plastic free. We don't even use sellotape. Um, we use like this weird papery tape stuff that you can get that's recyclable. They come in recyclable tin plate um, containers. The point being, we want to put our credentials in the sustainability mark, um, the sustainability field front and centre so that we can speak to people who are of that tribe. So we can speak to people that love that about businesses and that are passionate about sustainability and about buying products that are eco-friendly and things like that. Um, that's a massive thing for us because we, otherwise it's very difficult for us to compete with paraffin wax, cotton wick candles that you can buy for £2 out of Ikea. We, we sell these for £15. That's a difficult sell for a five ounce candle, but you give people reasons to want to fall in love with your business. Um, I want to focus, I'm going to skip through a couple of these because um, I want to focus on this, opportunities within the brand for storytelling. So when I talk about activating your tribe in that way, so we've done some work, um, as Chris mentioned, for Highland Park Whiskey. They've repositioned themselves in the last couple of years from they had a tagline a few years ago, um, the greatest spirit in the world, they were calling themselves. Um, 
alluding to the fact that their 18-year-old whiskey had won an award, the greatest spirit in the world. I mean, I like the boldness of that statement. There's something about it that's quite arrogant in a kind of memorable way. It doesn't contain a great deal of specificity for them. And it's hard to envisage how that would lead to activating a tribe of people who are really passionate about Highland Park, potentially. They've repositioned themselves. Uh, their new tagline is the Orkney single malt with Viking soul. So that's the Orkney single malt with Viking soul. Seven words. Contained within that seven words, you've got their location, Orkney. You've got they make a single malt product. And they've got this kind of conceptual edge to it as well about Viking soul, which is derived from the fact that 33% of people who live on Orkney have Viking DNA or um, Viking ancestry. They've done an incredible amount in this really small window. There's an incredible economical use of language to take a seven word tagline and pack it full of specificity and reasons to potentially fall in love with their business or reasons to be a little bit more passionate about their business. I'm not suggesting that their use of the word single malt in and of itself is a reason for you to fall in love with their business. It's obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But what I mean is they've taken this tiny little bit of language and they've packed it full of detail in order to reflect some key differential qualities that they have as a, as a business and some key differential qualities that their product has. That's because every, every one of these things and more is an opportunity to start to contain a little bit of that story that we want to be out there in the world about our business. Um, very briefly on business name, I mentioned Nick Bruce and his blinding lights wedding bed. Uh, that name, Nick Bruce and his blinding lights, is clearly a throwback band based on just, you can tell from that name alone, it's Bill Haley and his comments. It's an old style format for the name. It has the front man front and centre because it's a front man led show band and that's one of the key differential qualities as well. Um, the business name is the first, the tourism marketing agency. It really is, you can't miss what it does. The differential quality is baked in. In that instance, it's baked in in an unmissable um, way because the business name is an opportunity to tell the story of your business. Um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to skip on to a project case study here and then we'll talk about um, some of the things that, uh, some of the individual elements that occurred. I'm actually going to play a video from this first. So I want to show you a video and then I just want to have a quick discussion about what we think the differential qualities of this brand might be or what we think we're going to get from this brand. So it's a super short, just brand mood piece, basically, that we did for a caterer uh, in Glasgow called Regan Hallett Catering. Um, what do you think you, can you think of what have you learned about this business from this video? What, you, what sort of stuff do you think they do? Traditional, small, 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 
small parties, okay. Quality focus, yeah. What else was? Traditional home cooking, yes, absolutely. Produce slides, yes, it's all fresh produce, it's all locally sourced, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, that's a fantastic start. Now, we, we, you had no language to play with there. There's the only thing that came on the screen was Rick Halligan. So all of those elements have been, I think, alluded to by individual creative decisions that are taking place across the collateral. You mentioned uh, traditional uh, cooking. That's exactly it. Um, the typography selection is starting to hopefully convey that message of traditional. It's a traditional kind of serif typeface. Implies hopefully the printed word maybe has a classical feel to it. Um, we're using so one of the one of the other things about it is it's hopefully comes across as sociable. Maybe it's like big platters of food that everyone shares in. Um, client came to us with with that style of cooking and knew that that's what she does and that's she does that because she likes to cook that way and she does that for economical reasons. And I think she'd found a corner of the market that wants this big platters of, you know, hearty sharing food. So the challenge becomes, how do you package that up as a set of benefits for the customer? And how do you ideally connect that up to an emotional resonance that the customer might be able to feel? So um, here were the, the three differential factors, actually. So there's the banquet style catering. Um, we decided, therefore, that there is a soft specialisation within that because she she specialises in winter weddings. That clearly doesn't preclude her at all from doing weddings year-round. If you want a lamb roast at your summer wedding in July, she does lamb roast. There's nothing there. There's no barrier there. Whereas if you're planning a winter wedding and someone's saying, hey, I specialise in winter weddings, people aren't out there generally claiming to specialise in winter weddings. It seems like such a counterintuitive thing to do because weddings is a seasonal business that happens in the summer. So she's got this advantage now over competition when it comes to winter weddings because of this claim she's making that's pretty agnostic as far as her chances of booking a summer wedding goes. Um, and then there's this luxury service with a highly bespoke menu design service that she does. So part of her, that video, so she's all over that video, you see her kind of treating the food. Um, you, you see her basically fussing over the food in a way that gives you the impression that she has the attention to detail, hopefully over every aspect of it. Um, these were some of the kind of conversions to emotional resonance that I was talking about. So you've got picking up on nostalgia. I think it's a nostalgic feeling brand. We're using, um, like it feels like family Sunday roast. It feels like Christmas dinner to me, that kind of thing. And if you can capture a little bit of that flavor and make the audience feel that, I think that's a really compelling way of just, that's your messaging without using words at all at that point. We're talking about colors and color selection within the brand. So there's like, there's these rich, deep, autumnal slash wintry colors that we use. We use lots of deep greens and forest greens and golds and plum shades and stuff like that. It all feels like natural produce. It all feels like wintry colors. Constantly just using every little thing you can use. So that's color and it's being utilized to start to tell a story about the business. Um, did you, did you play in, did you play on senses there as well? Say that again? Senses, like the sense of taste and smell. Sure. That's a kind of, the imagery there is so easy to recall. Yeah. Like a, if you 
think about that, you think about those images. Yeah, well, you're seeing pouring a lot. You're seeing interaction with the food. You can imagine sticking a knife in that and yeah. steam coming out. And yeah, so absolutely the sensory experience. And, and also the other thing that we haven't really picked up on yet is sound. So um, briefly, the, the soundtrack for this, I'll just stick it on the end. Has sort of an enchanting feel to it. Um, has a kind of a festive vibe to it as well. So it doesn't scream Christmassy. I'm not watching that thinking, well, that's weird they've stuck a Christmas soundtrack on this. But it does have a little bit of that. Right, yeah. It does have a bit of a Marks and Spencer's vibe to it. I'm, I'm taking that as a feature, not a bug. Um, yeah, totally, yeah. I like that. I'll take credit for that, but I hadn't thought of that yet. Yeah? Um, it was a budget consideration, really. Um, although one of, one of the things that we tried to do with the um, photography was give it a sort of social feel. So there you can see, there's no people in this shot, but there's a couple of things to notice about it that hopefully convey that message anyway. One is that there's a stack of cutlery, so this isn't a knife and a fork. There's, it's clearly about to be shared. It's also, it's a rough stack of cutlery. It's not all laid out with napkins. It feels like it's a chip in and help serve sort of situation. And none of the individual plates are actually fully depicted in the image, which gives you this sense of there is an infinite platter of food running across a full table here, which hopefully gets across that banquet style that she kind of takes. It's all formal food, but informal service. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's the other thing about it is that hopefully the food has an aesthetic benefit to the customer because if the customer puts on a platter that has this impressive scale and that is clearly visually, it's not necessarily what you would expect, which is to be set a, an a la carte meal down, there's a visual impact of that. And for her customers who are either corporate clients or wedding clients, in each of those instances, or private parties, in each of those instances, she, the customer is looking to make a visual impact they're looking to create a luxury experience for the for the diners um, by hiring Reagan. Yeah, so I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to illustrate there is every one of these tiny creative decisions you make is a vehicle for some aspect of your messaging. None of them individually. The fact that there's a stack of cutlery there, that doesn't sell um, catering services for Reagan Halley, but it does help a little bit. It just chips away a little bit because it chips away a little bit at the story that exists out in the world about Reagan Halley. So whether you've read cover to cover or website, which no one's ever done. Um, sorry, David. <laughs> David. David wrote all the copy on it, but he's the only one that's read it. No, I'm sure that's not true. Um, exactly, which no one probably read either. Um, point being, you don't need to read cover to cover on the website to get a pretty strong sense of who she is because you just look at all these um, individual decisions. How am I doing for time, Chris? Am I basically uh, burning? Five minutes. Okay. Will we just? Go for questions at this point. Um, I'm aware I've sort of, I, I did skip through a few sections there, but the goal for me is just to open up and see what people. Well, I asked about the sensory mm -hmm. side of that, because conversation I was having today with, with somebody who were talking about the whole aspect of digital things, and actually the question was, so tell me the last time you sat in front of the screen, and tell me the, remember an ad, the, the last ad you saw on <coughs> Right. And nobody in the room could remember it. Really? Straight over the head, not interested. Right. Whereas with that, if you were to see that, actually, 
that captivates your imagination. Right. In a way that sort of immediately yeah. makes you kind of, it's almost a desirous thing. It's not really what's really yeah. nice and so it's memorable or not. Are the cameras getting us, Chris? Yeah, well, yeah, anyway. yeah. Whether you remember the name, that's the, my only... Sure. Yeah, yeah. How do you hinge that together? Totally. Well, ultimately, and there's something to be said for... Again, I keep coming back to Tourism Market Agency. There's something to be said for just a really, really cannot miss it straightforward name like that that just tells the story. As far as names go, Regan Hallett Catering is a reasonably exotic one. So we did look at names when we started working with her as part of just having a look at absolutely everything that we could do. In the end, I think she liked the idea of being a sort of auteur of the food and being having a sort of slightly artistic approach to it, which we've then tried to reflect in some of the branding elements, including, in fact, the, the monogram that we've got there, which hopefully gives it the sense of, you know, your, your food is being worked on by someone with a vision. Um, and again, the monogram has a kind of traditional feel that maybe ties back to the traditional nature of the food as well. Um, but yeah. Where would you use that video? What channel would that be? To me, that's a, that's a good question. I think it's a, an introductory piece as far as meeting the brand for the first time. Because I don't think it's, it's obviously not full of information. It's just full of imagery that's conveying that basic brand message. So to me, it's acquisition rather than conversion. But you're also able to use it. Another place we use it is we just use that video as background images not background images, but background video on the website. So as you're reading copy, you're seeing images go through the screen. So you get the economy of using it twice. But ultimately, I think it's for introducing the brand rather than for converting into that. that, that yeah, yeah. You also notice as well, things like YouTube and Facebook are driving more and more ads through, when they're watching something, especially on Facebook, an ad will pop up. Don't think of it in the sense of a traditional TV ad. It's, Social was where it's at, and that's where videos more compelling. Mm. Mm. Well, that was Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I, never ex I never expected that question. I don't know why. Well, I didn't have a good answer then, did I? The best I can give you is do, do what I say, no way to. <laughs> 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 Could that be used as an augmented reality feature on, on printed? <laughs> Could it be used as a, an augmented? Like as a, a wow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you maybe see a picture printed and then when somebody goes down the phone and then the video Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pre for me. That's pretty cutting edge. I don't know. I don't know about you, but that's. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, yeah. There's a great blog of photos of people using QR codes. It's just an empty website. Technology has has better. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you do have to. You have to have an app. You, you yeah. Have to, you have to do it. That's that's the barrier. It's, if you have to put something, if somebody has to download something, or something, somebody has to do something to get that to view it. Yeah. There's a barrier in front, and you're going to get less and less people watching it. I think you might offer a board and experience where, like, you start sending out lamb chops or something. Mm -hmm. Like smell-o-vision. Yeah. 
That would, I mean, that kind of video where you've, it's a very sensory experience, that's the kind of thing that probably would work quite well in that situation, if you can persuade people to download an app and then, yeah. Um, any other questions on brand, brand differentiation? Go on. When you're sitting down with someone right at the beginning and you're trying yeah. to get them to identify their key selling points, I guess, mm -hmm. like, how do you open people up to that conversation? Because quite a lot of the time, what we get is, mm -hmm. oh, well, we do, like, you know, we're, we're not that different. And it's actually trying to get them to identify their unique selling points. Yeah. That's actually the really big challenge of the conversation. So some people just need help. Some people, it doesn't fall to them to do it. <laughs> I, sorry. <laughs> that wasn't meant to sound anybody as um, accusatory as it was. That? Guidance. Yes. Guidance, uh, guidance would be, yes, yeah, some people need guidance. Some people could use guidance. <laughs> um, One hundred percent, yeah. So that's that's a great place to start because no one does that. Like, the, or people, clients that come to us haven't done that in years, and it's kind of a scary thing to do. Is ask your customers, "Hey, how do we do? What's the thing you liked best? What's the thing you didn't like?" And very often, people don't even know what they're best regarded for. It's kind of strange. Like, I think it's really useful to ask your customers that um, because to understand what you can do to influence the brand that's out there that you can't really fully control. It's super useful to know well, what perception is already out there on day one. That we can use, what are the elements of that we can use and then what are the elements that we just need to add to. So very often customers don't have a great sense of that and that's why they need guidance in the first place. Um, I just think it's a case of analyzing every stage of what they do from like going back to uh, Go back to all these things and more and figuring out, well, what's specific about a certain number of these elements? Um, their personality, their price, their aesthetic style, their philosophy. Um, in your case, the idea of having a novel product or service offering. So your differentiation is set for life. But, because you, so John, um, for anyone that doesn't know, am I okay to talk about this? Please do, yeah. Cool. <laughs> John, John offers a fantastic service where it's a door-to-door -door luggage service. You're going on holiday, he'll come to your home not him personally, I assume, or maybe, I don't know. And then he'll, he'll take your luggage from your home and he'll get on his boat and he'll take it to wherever you're going on holiday and he'll drop it off so you arrive at holiday. You don't check in anything to the airport. You just turn up. It's pretty cool, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So that's a novel product slash service offering, right? So you're off to a head start. You've got a cheat code when it comes to differentiation. But imagine then you've got a really distinctive brand personality. You've got a specific aesthetic style across all your collateral. That's obviously going to help rather than hurt because you can, if you rack up extra points, even though you're already nailing it in one of those areas, then I think that helps. But sometimes it just takes someone to come in and analyze that for you. Um, and that's, that's hours or days of work, is really looking at everything and figuring out what's here that's great and how can we package that up as having some emotional benefit to the person that is eventually going to make a purchase? Because the thing that people think they sell is almost always just the thing they do to service the thing that they sell. That's a bit of a, an abstract thing to say when I'm already in overtime. But, but what, I'm, what I mean by that in a nutshell is, for a long time I thought I, we sold branding and design and graphic design and photography and video services. But what we sell is convenience in terms of time 
what we sell is a bit of imagination and what we sell is the ability to help people sell a little bit more. So that's the emotional benefits that it has for the customer. Does that answer your question? Okay, close enough. Thanks. Okay, okay. Um, I think I'm starting to encroach on break time and Chris's time, but uh, I just want to say thanks very much. Uh, thanks for your questions. Thanks for watching. Forgot that. Well, I hope you found a lot of David's advice insightful. I know I certainly did. And some of the advice that I have given from my own background in brand development was very much along the similar lines. So his advice is invaluable. If you want to know more about David or want to get in contact with him, just click on the link below or visit walnutwasp.com. Next video, we will be hoping to speak with Alex Bainbridge, uh, who previously owned Tour CMS. Alex was basically one of the first people to in, uh, create a booking platform for tours and activities and link this up with various partners like TripAdvisor, Viator, etc. So his advice is going to be on his new venture, which is autonomous vehicles and how that is going to affect the future of tourism. It is not to be missed. Till the next video, we'll see you soon.